welcome to She Plus Me, a podcast that inspires and celebrates personal and professional growth. I'll be your host, Nora Bade, founder of She Plus Me, an educational lifestyle brand. After going through my own wild journey of discovering my most authentic self through mind, body, and soul, I've been discovering what it takes to find your passion and to live your most authentic life. This is the place to be to dig into real and raw conversations with radiant souls from everything natural beauty to holistic health, deep healing, personal growth, and building a purposeful life. Every single one of us has the ability to build extraordinary lives, and this podcast is going to help you get there. Welcome back to another episode of She Plus Me, and today we are joined by the lovely Jackie. You might know her as Designed by Jackie on Instagram. Jackie is a brand and web design strategist building captivating brands for socially responsible businesses. Welcome, Jackie. Hello. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining me. I'm so excited to have you on. This is something that I wanted to chat about for a while, and I feel like we just vibe on such a brand level. Yes, we are totally on the same plane of of like speaking brand language, which is like so exciting for me as a solopreneur mm-hmm. um, to be able to sort of really dig into branding and all things marketing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, how did you... Let's talk about how you originally... Got got into branding and started all of it. Yeah. Um I think I was always sort of attracted to the creative side, um, the visual aspect, mm-hmm. because I had uh, studied fine arts. And though that was really enjoyable, it didn't have a purpose for me. Mm-hmm. So when I studied graphic design, it was really about applying meaning to visuals. Yeah. Um, which just provided like a full picture for me and made art feel useful, not mm-hmm. that art has to be. So that really intrigued me to be able to visually communicate an idea or purpose behind every sort of application mm-hmm. because every aspect of a visual brand is communicating something. Yeah. So tying those together is really kind of what excites me. So I'm going to, before we get into your own journey, I'm going to kind of go back into your childhood growing Ooh. up. I know. <laughs> <laughs> We're going there. Yeah. <laughs> How was that? Where did you grow up? And like, tell me a little bit about your childhood. Yeah, for sure. So I grew up in Sydney, mm-hmm. in Cape Breton, in Nova Scotia. Yes. I grew up in kind of like suburbia, but mm. there was also like a lot of woods around my house, which was really great because I spent 95% of my childhood outside. Which they say, if you want to be creative, that's where you want to uh, be. <laughs> that's where I lived, in the woods, and like in the mud. So that sort of like, even now, I still get replenished by going outside and just like being in nature. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that had a huge impact on my creativity. But um, my mother was a teacher and she also had an arts background. Okay. So she was really encouraging me to just like explore, you know, got me all the drawing books, put me in a painting class. Mm-hmm. I never really stuck with studying art growing up, but it was always something I was involved in and sort of felt connected to. And in high school, when I got up there, I had a high school, like my art teacher sort of nurtured my interest because he could see that I was, I had more to give. But mm-hmm. I wasn't really getting pushed. Yeah. Um, so he got me in with three different artists in the community that right. I could go to their studio and like learn from them. That's a really cool experience. It was really eye opening. So we did jewelry 
design um, and making. I did. I went to a watercolor artist studio. Ooh. And then there was one other one I can't even put my finger on, but it it really just like gave me as a young person the opportunity to see that you can make a living as an artist. Mm -hmm. There is so I think it's there's a miscued conception that artists um, and creatives really can't make an adequate living if you just run on your passion, which I think is kind of interesting because right now I think there's more of a demand in that sector than there ever has been before. Because if you look at it from a branding perspective like Mm -hmm. yourself, that's what brands are trying to do. Everybody's trying to differentiate themselves and create that different element that doesn't kind of align with everybody else and what everybody else is pushing out and preaching and the colors and the visuals and all of that. Absolutely. I think individuality is just more important than ever. Oh my gosh, yeah. You know, not everyone can hit on the notes of what makes them special or Mm -hmm. individual and like having someone to coach you through that and push you through that so that you're not looking at everyone around you and sort of pulling strings from, you know, what everyone else is doing. And I think that's quite common too, because I think just the culture that we're in right now, so many of us strive to be more like others versus our ourselves and what our, I guess, innate being is mm-hmm. um, just because there is like a label and there is a deemed like social status quo that everybody wants to meet and wants to be a part of like that collective. And when you feel like you identify as anything different, you're like, oh, <laughs> oh this is a little scary. <laughs> yeah, because yeah. you're alone on it. And mm-hmm. it doesn't feel as, I guess, perhaps joyful or it, it is more of an independent journey when you decide to differentiate yourself. And, oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's risky too, right? Like it can be if you're in an industry where you see people doing similar sorts of things and you mm-hmm. want to do something a little bit differently, you know, it's, it can be, you can be worrying if you're going to be accepted. Yeah. Um, it's true. When usually that's the thing that sort of attracts people into you is having that sort of different point of view. Yeah. So after that, you went into their studios. Were you captivated by that? Yeah, I was. In particular, the watercolor artist, Kenny Boone, He his life was like, you could just tell he was fully sort of in a cre- in his creative zone. Mm-hmm. Um, he, and he did a lot of different work. He did like live painting for music shows and like landscape stuff too. That's amazing. Yeah, it was really great. And also just to really sit down and try it. Yeah. And learn from an artist and show you how they work and sort of just experiment. So that was, I think, really kind of pivotal for me. Mm-hmm. It gave me the opportunity to say, yeah, I can, which led me to uh, art school, which mm-hmm. was interesting, but also valuable. Yeah. So. And how is that experience for you going through art school? Um, <laughs> well, no, I, I, I was young. Like, I felt like I was really young. I was 19 when I went, Mm -hmm. but I didn't really have an idea of what art school could do for me. Mm -hmm. And I think at that age, you know, you're still figuring out yourself. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so I I sort of just like fell into it because I was like, this is what I'm good at. Like, this is, this is what feels right. And then I was... Uh, I spent about two and a half years studying fine arts and printmaking, which was awesome, Mm -hmm. but I had no direction. And I think the lack of that just sort of spun me in circles. And it's such a big investment financially that I think it does take a little bit of time as a young person to really let that sink in. 
about what that means for you as an individual, especially when you're on a student loan, because that's that's coming back around. Oh, yeah. Pretty quick. So <laughs> and yeah. I love that you actually said that because for a 19 year old, most of us, I mean, you know, you get your job at what, 16, and then you work in a retail or fast food industry for Mm. a short period of time. But a lot of us don't really have that financial, haven't adapted the financial language, don't really know our financial, I guess, situation. But Mm. then at 19, three years later, (laughs) it's like, okay, now you have to invest 40K into your university and you have to make sure that this is the best decision for you. It's it's heavy. It is heavy. Yeah. So you go from having kind of like, no responsibilities, no type of anything, just Mm -hmm. free falling essentially Mm -hmm. to, okay, now I have to get my shit together and decide what I want to do for a lifetime. hundred percent. Which I think is interesting. Yeah. And I mean, you see all your peers sort of jumping on board with university or whatever they want to do. Um, and, you know, some people do have the support, which is incredible, but other people are just sort of like, all right, I'm going to side my life away to this loan and just hope for the best. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, when I hit that two and a half years, I was like, I just I can't do this anymore. Mm-hmm. And I was sort of depressed in my personal life. So it felt like both my personal and my like studies were just stagnant at a standstill and I couldn't function. Yeah. So that's when my family was sort of just like, okay, we need to step back and take some time to heal and like redirect and just sort of deal with your emotional state. Mm -hmm. Um, So that was also like a really transformational period of my life. And so was that your first experience ever with anxiety, depression or? (laughs) I mean, it was like, you know, it was the bottom of the barrel for me. Yeah. It was like hitting the ground. And it wasn't until that point and probably a year or two after that it really made me realize how much of how much anxiety I had had my entire life. Really? That wasn't really dealt with because I I didn't really express myself Mm -hmm. through speaking. Like I was an introvert and I'm an artist. So like I just internalized my struggle or emotions. So when I hit the bottom, it was sort of like, okay, there's only, (laughs) you can only go up from here. Um, So getting the help I needed and the support I needed and really just honestly taking the time Mm -hmm. because it doesn't happen in a month. It doesn't happen no. in two months. You can't put put a time limit on your healing. So yeah, I think it's been a steady learning process ever since mm-hmm. to deconstruct areas in my life to be more aware of like what my patterns are and like why they existed. And But I think so many of us have those patterns. Mm. Uh, and whether you identify it as anxiety or stress or, or not, I think more than ever before, we are dealing with a lot of like an influx of stressors in our lives. And patterns is like a perfect example. I think so many of us have those autoimmune responses to situations like, you know, a bad experience could come by and you're like, oh, like, why did it happen to me? Or I Mm -hmm. deserve this or it's because I did X, Y, Z versus like, okay, what can I take away from this? How can I learn from this experience and then move on with a better, I guess, experience, right? Mm -hmm. So it's really hard to, I think it's interesting because for myself, I can relate to you in many situations, particularly my university journey or my studies. Mm -hmm. Um, I was very similar in the sense of I 
felt like I was, I guess, making the right decision, but I didn't feel 100%. Mm-hmm. And my two-year mark was kind of like that really, I want to say, a slump of my four years because it was like, okay, is this really for me? Is it not? What can I do with it? Mm-hmm. And then growing up, I was an introvert as well. But what I would do is if I felt kind I like hit it with a smile. Oh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> and it's yeah. just like you just smiled. And I remember growing up, like, I think it was my grade two teacher she would call me Miss Smiley because I just always smile. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's like I could like literally have it have tears streaming down my eyes but mm-hmm. I'm just like smiling through it because yeah. I felt like crying or showing emotions yeah. was like a sign of weakness. Yeah. Yeah. Which is interesting and it's it, it goes back to you know I think just backgrounds and belief systems and all of that that's been instilled in us but yeah, it, it's sure. interesting because the reason I had thought that was because you know, I was I was a baby of nine, right? And my mother was a single widowed mother and mm-hmm. I had just seen her be this extraordinary woman and she never showed emotions. And mm-hmm. for me, that strength was kind of like alluded to, okay, you can't show emotions because yeah. that's what it, you know. That's what you learn through experience. Yeah. So observation. It, yeah. it is. It's interesting. So to actually speak about that and to explore why people feel certain ways towards emotions, I think is so interesting. It, because- it's so empowering. I think now, like I, I just turned 30 and I'm like, literally the happiest I've ever been because I just know more about myself and I'm not afraid to be myself. Yeah. And that's the best place to be. Yeah. And like realizing that being sensitive to situations or people or environments Mm -hmm. and picking up all the information in a room, like that's a gift and it's not, you know, the way it's been labeled sometimes as oh, you're a crybaby or something like yeah. that when you're a kid. You know, I think I was definitely taught that being sensitive was like a weak thing. Yeah. And now I see it as like my strength because it allows me to connect with the clients I work with mm-hmm. and understand things from a, a real empathetic perspective, mm-hmm. which is so valuable. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. 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 Just took a little while. <laughs> To actually shift it, yeah. Yeah. No, for sure. So two years, you kind of took a step back and Mm -hmm. then you came back with a fresh perspective, feeling Uh, better. Sort of. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. How did that look like? I dipped my toe in the water. So it was actually my brother. He's a few years older than me. He suggested graphic design and Mm -hmm. I was sort of like, meh, I'm not sure. It seems kind of boring at the time, but it felt like a step forward. Mm -hmm. And then once I I went to NSCC to study the graphic design course, which was two years, and I felt at home there. I really felt like I could, again, like apply my art to a purpose Mm -hmm. and really like formed amazing connections with the people in my class. Having a smaller environment was like super helpful. Oh my gosh. Yeah. To really like, you know, kind of hone your, your craft and just... Yeah, build those connections. So yeah. That program was, yeah, it was, I don't want to say life-saving, but it was it was a great, great experience for me as an artist to, to learn. It's interesting because they're both are how I think just different applications, similar but different mm-hmm. applications, pen and paper versus like a computer and for sure. a program. But so you went into that and then you completed that. What were your next steps then? Um, well, I was very like eager. (laughs) I've always been sort of like wondering what the next step is and excited to do the next thing. Um, So the program had a 
five week, I think it is um, sort of like work placement. Mm -hmm. It wasn't paid, which should change. I I agree. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I agree because I I went through the co-op program at the Mount Mm -hmm. and I recalled a lot of people in the communications program at an SEC complaining about the same thing. Yeah. And they would get the same rules as us. And I was essentially getting paid like a like graduate yeah. level pay. And like they you're were doing the work. Yeah. Well, exactly. There, it's your time. And it should be a learning lesson, like getting paid and understanding like the functionality well, of I a business. I think that's what makes it real. It's like yeah. you're actually getting incentivized for your effort. So obviously mm. it's going gonna, it's gonna to feel more like the real thing versus you going into an office every day. I think that's just going to decrease your morale. Exactly. Yeah. 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 But I did, it was extremely valuable for me. Um, I went into a public relations company called Pure mm-hmm. and it was led by a super inspiring strong women named Tanya Collier McDonald. Yes. Um, her last name is CJ now, Tanya <laughs> CJ. Um, but uh, yeah, it was just, it was an amazing experience to come into this like female team and just learn about this whole new world in my small town yeah. <laughs> because I didn't really have any understanding of like the business community. Mm-hmm. And I think when you grow up in a small town, you kind of feel pretty isolated at times, especially I in can Cape Breton. I see that. Yeah. Yeah. So just sort of discovering this new sort of community slash adults, professionals, mm-hmm. um, doing good work and like inspiring work just like opened up my eyes to like what was actually happening in Cape Breton Yeah. to sort of give it a honestly, more respect and credibility. Well, that's what, yeah, Cape Breton is perceived as just that rural area. It's, yeah. a, I'm going to say, scape city where you mm-hmm. can go, you know, enjoy a weekend away or do that. Like they're known for the Cabot Trail, but there's not a lot of substance or like the ecosystem of how it thrives otherwise, right? Yeah, you know, like it was it was born a coal, steel mining town, yeah. like many places and, you know, many small towns. And it just, the world changed rapidly and, mm-hmm. you know, employment isn't as plentiful no. because it's not a city center. It doesn't have like the economic yeah. Um, sort of engine running there. Yeah. So, you know, you grow up and you just sort of, you just pick up what you hear from people. You're like, oh, can't get a job, blah, 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 blah. Well, that's what the whole city is murmuring. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's so like you're manifesting that for yourself, yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. So that job just gave me a whole new perspective and attitude towards Cape Breton that I'm like very thankful for. Yeah. Um, because it just showed me what's possible in smaller areas and just introduced me to all the amazing people that are sort of holding it to a much higher level, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And it is evolving now. Like there is, uh, there's a lot more change coming to Cape Breton right now. So much. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like part of me is just still so connected to Cape Breton. Yeah. And whenever I hear someone bashing it, I'm just like, well, this is happening. (laughs) These people are doing these amazing things. Yeah. Um, So I think it's important to share that side of the story as well. Yeah, for sure. And then, so you worked with Pure Post. Yeah, I worked with Pure for about two years or so. Mm -hmm. Um, I was learning a lot, but I I did still feel kind of stifled uh, Mm -hmm. living at home. And I knew I wanted um, or I needed to yeah. be honest, like I needed a new environment and new experiences. Yeah. So I kind of took a little bit of time, put a few printed off images of other places in the world on my little 
uh, bulletin board. And one of those was Queenstown in New Zealand. And it turns out about six months later, um, my partner's cousin was going. I love that story. (laughs) Yeah, it feels good now. In retrospect, I didn't realize that that sort of came up or manifested. Um, But yeah, my my partner's cousin, Brody, he went to New Zealand to weld and my partner, Alan, as well as a welder. Mm -hmm. Um, They needed welders in Christchurch in New Zealand. So we were kind of like, let's go. Um, We we applied for a visa and found out a week later that we were accepted. So how is that? You went from Cape Breton to New Zealand. (laughs) It was incredible. No, it was it was a little scary, but honestly, just like the most exciting thing in the world. Yeah. The funny thing is, like, that was the first time I was on a plane since I was three years old. No way. Yeah. It was like friggin' two days. Oh, my. And you just went there to literally live for, well, who knows how long at that point. Yeah. I mean, we knew we wanted to stay for a year. Okay. um, Because we felt like we would. We just wanted to be in that environment Mm -hmm. and to have a change. But yeah, we didn't really know what was coming. Yeah. How was it in terms of, well, first the contrast of, you know, living in a small rural kind of (laughs) city and going to New Zealand? Well, it was, first of all, it was just so exciting because I think, you know, like it was relatively easy because in New Zealand they speak English and it's very like a modern country, Mm -hmm. but there's still a huge, huge, um, difference. So the thing I didn't realize was that it's really just a country of small towns. Oh yeah. And like where we landed, Christchurch was similar to Halifax in size. Yeah. So it wasn't overly intimidating in In terms in like city sort of urban environment. Mm -hmm. Um, it was more so just like, getting used to the culture and even though people are still speaking English you can have a conversation with someone and they're like where are you from like Newfoundland like Ireland um that's funny that they would say Newfoundland I know yeah 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 so there's still there was still a lot to sort of adjust to but it was yeah. just it was exciting it's how was their country. lifestyle did you find it to be a lot different in terms um, of like were they more sustainable or eco-friendly or yeah it was that's kind of what I went I like needed a full environment change yeah um at that point yeah so they it it was very comparable to Canada, but I want to say like a level above yeah. in like quality of food, quality of service, yeah, sort of public yeah. services. Mm-hmm. Um, I just felt like they prioritized um, like the level of service in society and mm-hmm. community was just sort of really um, well thought out. Yeah, I guess. What else can I say? It was just like every day felt exciting. Yeah, which was which was great. And, and that's sort of when I started freelancing because that was my opportunity to take the jump. Yes. Um, but my sort of safety net there was that when I told my boss, like, "Hey, I'm going to New Zealand. I love <laughs> you. Thanks for the job, but can I still do work for you for like X amount of hours a week?" Yeah. Um. So that was really my like easing into it. Yeah. Yeah, that helped a lot. Like the little segue of. Mm-hmm. So actually, I really, really want to highlight that because first off, I want to go back to that for one second, because I think the idea of when you're moving or when you're transitioning to a new role, you kind of have to 
leave. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think there's that perhaps misconception that you can renegotiate a Mm -hmm. role or renegotiate a contract or your hours or whatever the case may be. And I really actually want to highlight that because I think as a freelancer or as an employee, I think there is that, that flexibility and that ability to negotiate something that works for you. Whereas most people think it's like set in stone Mm -hmm. and it's more fear of asking that they don't ask. And they're like, oh, I didn't even know I could do that. Mm -hmm. But I I really want to open that discussion because I don't think enough people are aware that they can do that on any type of level of contract work. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I was terrified to tell my my boss Tanya because I didn't know how she'd react because I felt like she sort of gave me my first professional role. Yeah. Um but when I told her and she was like really nurturing and sort of um excited for me, mm-hmm. which was special, that sort of opened up the door for me to say, "Hey, what can we do here?" because it it was beneficial for her to not have to bring someone else new on the team and train them. Yeah, that is true. And I knew the brand inside out and I knew sort of how she worked and how the team worked mm-hmm. and um that relationship was still really valuable. So, yeah. But there's still that sense of guilt of, "Oh my gosh, yeah. I don't want to it, it's common, but yeah. it's there. Oh, absolutely. So yeah. it it surprises me and even for myself on a I guess, work level, I feel guilty if I, you know, have to let a client go or if Mm. I can't take on a project or whatever the case might be. It's more so, well, I guess in this case where your personal identity is tied to your brand, Mm -hmm. you feel like you have to push yourself that extra measure versus if it's a brand, no one's going to knock a brand, right? Yeah, yeah, Mm -hmm. for sure. It's a completely different sort of experience when you're negotiating on your own versus with a team or with people that have been through the ropes of mm-hmm. years of experience. For sure. And I think also you have to sort of realize when you're negotiating that you have to be advocating for yourself because no one else is doing it for you. Mm-hmm. You know, no one has your best interest in mind. And also what someone else thinks is good for you may not be the right thing for you. Yeah, no, <laughs> it's know? so true. Yeah, yeah, I agree. But that's a really good point. Like nobody advocating for you. Oh my God, I really <laughs> want to stress that out because yeah. that took me, honestly, Maybe it was my naive, optimistic mind that took me a long time to really realize because I had, I do, I have my best intentions at all times. And you kind of go into, and again, going back to maybe it is naive, but I go into every situation thinking that everyone's going to be Mm. as pure and intentional as I am. Mm -hmm. And I'm very transparent in, in my sense of work and my sense of communication But what you quickly realize is that not a lot of people are. And it's like adapting to that, not to say you have to create this facade or this fake face Mm -hmm. or anything of that sort. But you really need to like hone your skills as to going back to your point, reading people, gaining the insights, the analytics, and being very intentional of how you're advocating for yourself and what you're even offering. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And I think in the beginning, that is really tough. You Mm -hmm. know, like you just want to be 
doing your best work and just providing, just doing the best you can and Mm -hmm. knowing that that's valuable. Yeah. Because when you come out of school, like, and you get in your first job or position, (laughs) you're just kind of terrified every day. But they don't even tell you the real world. So you're like, yeah, first off, I'm like navigating like a deer in headlights. Exactly. (laughs) And you're getting things thrown at you left, right and center and maybe something that you weren't even trained in. Yeah. And you just kind of have to like take it on. Um, But I think you know, those workplace experiences just show you where your boundaries might need to be. Yeah. Again, because you don't know who you come in with the best of intentions. But again, not everyone else does. Yeah. And, and it's not always sunshine and rainbows. There's conflict. Always. And there's disagreements. Yeah. And that's normal. You know, like mm-hmm. that's something that is the learning process of having a professional career. Yeah. So how did you adapt to that? Like what were what were the changes and the kind of skills that you honed in on and how yeah. to build yourself as a professional? Because you weren't so at this point you were in New Zealand, transitional, still with a peer, but kind of doing your own thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think for me, it was really sort of a slow learning process. Um, I still very much relied on pure to be my my sort of money pot mm-hmm. um, on a consistent basis. Uh, but I really just took what I learned in the office environment and sort of adapted it to what I think would be a good experience for my clients. Yeah. So I took sort of little nuggets here and there and and just provided what I think someone would um, feel a good experience is. Um, so just being very crystal clear around like deliverables mm-hmm. and scope and like yeah. what is the whole purpose and intent of this project and making sure we're really tying everything together. Mm-hmm. Um, at that time, I was, I was just dipping my toe sort of in freelancing, Mm -hmm. but also exploring this new country and like loving it. Yeah. And honestly doing most of that by myself because my partner and the people I was living with were all like working regular nine to five (laughs) jobs. So I'm just like bopping around town, going to coffee shops. So it was really sort of a slow learning process. And I didn't know if I wanted to stick with freelancing at the time either because it was sort of just like, is this going to actually support me? Yeah. I wasn't sure. So yeah. Yeah. And then when did that end? When did you come back? Yeah, it was a hard decision to decide whether to come or go um but we really like dearly missed our friends and family and just like east coast people in general and at that time were you like okay i want to go back to my full time or were you like let's let's see i'll go back and we'll see where life takes me yeah i mean i think the expectation was with the company that i would come back to work full time yeah and i didn't know (laughs) i had no idea um but i i did come back to cape breton yeah and that was sort of grand zero again i was like what am i doing yeah so i sort of went in the office and chatted with like the team and and Tanya but I really felt in my heart that I was not ready to go back to that job mm-hmm. um, I had developed my confidence enough and my skills enough freelancing yeah. that I knew I wanted to continue that and yeah. be working with the clients that I wanted to serve um, so that was a very hard decision again just oh my feeling gosh, yeah. guilty and but also I, I knew I needed to invest fully mm-hmm if I was going to freelance and run a business, I needed to commit to that and not sort of be wishy-washy floating around. Yeah. Not sure what to do. Um, so I, I made that commitment and sort of... It's interesting you say that. I'm reading this book. It's called Passion Paradox. Mm. And um, 
what they actually say about anybody who really wants to do what they're passionate about is that you can't go 100% all in right from the get-go, which is interesting. It's completely contradictive to everybody I've spoken to and what everybody does um, because there's this kind of conception that you have to go all in 100% building Mm. your business from the ground up. But what they actually say is when you go all in, then you're putting additional pressure on yourself that it's no longer a should, it's like a must. Mm -hmm. So then you're like putting the financial strain on it. You're putting that now I have to be successful strain on it. And then what actually ends up happening, and I'm not going to say actually, but majority of the time, which Mm. is why nine out of 10 businesses fail, is that the pressure just collapses the whole foundation of the why, the purpose, the passion, and it all just crumbles because Mm -hmm. there are so many factors that play a role in it. So that's interesting. I really like that you brought that up. Yeah, no, it's a heavy weight. It is. And a big decision to make. And I think if you don't necessarily have a business background, no, um, then you might not be going into it in the smartest sort of way, you know, Um, especially for me as a creative, I I love the, the art, the playful side of it. Um, But it it was a learning process over the last many years, because I think every job teaches you something. Yeah. Um, But in particularly, like working for myself solely to like, dig into the business and make sure that it's functioning to support me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you decided to do it on your own and go all out. I did. And that just, uh, it was a decision based on feeling. Yeah. Um, Which is the, I I fully believe that's the best way to go. Yeah. Your gut doesn't lie. No. Right? Like you kind of know and you can fight yourself on it in your mind. But at the end of the day, you're going to get to the same place sooner or later. It's so true. Yeah. And I mean, I was fortunate that I was, my family was still there and I could live with them and Mm -hmm. sort of have that transitional period where I wasn't like completely super scared of like, how am I going to pay rent? Yeah. Um, so that helped. And then, um, after a period of time, we realized we didn't feel like we wanted to stay in Cape Breton. Mm-hmm. And also my partner needed a job as well. Yeah. So we ended up in Halifax and I'm super, super glad we did. That's amazing. It feels, feels like home now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So digging into a little bit of what you do and what you offer because mm-hmm. you're a brand strategist, web designer. Yeah. This is obviously <laughs> crucial for any business. I mean, our brand identity is something that you need to evolve from the get-go essentially because the business world is so is so saturated i mean there's so many brands that there's there's so many products where do you start Mm -hmm. yeah no and i think there's also so many people now going it on their own Mm -hmm. and providing services as like a solo service provider yes and i've noticed that also as well in like sort of professionals that have already worked 20, 30 years. Yeah. They're coming back as like consultants. And yeah. With experience. Thing. Yeah. Um, because it seems like it just serves businesses a bit better, more streamlined mm-hmm. as an investment. Um, but for me, I just, I knew I was the best at branding. Like, yeah. That's what people were responding to the most. Mm-hmm. And though I felt like I could do different things, like I've done UI, UX, user experience design and you know, it was tricky because like that sort of work is very profitable. Yeah. But it really wasn't my strength. Yeah. And I didn't enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Like I, I found it interesting, but it didn't light me up every day. Yeah. Um. So it, it did take a little bit of time to sort of, you know, do a number of projects and realize what my strengths were mm-hmm. and allow myself to trust that. 
that that was going to provide for me mm-hmm. or plan to provide for me. So. And so the process of that, like how, well, first off, let's dig into like, how did you build your business in terms? Cause you're a website designer mm-hmm. and a brand strategist. Yeah. What were your first steps? Like, did you start off with a website? Did you start off with just, yeah. <laughs> how did you dip your do- toes into yeah. the sector of marketing? Yeah. I mean, when I was freelancing at pure, I'd pick up a few projects from, from like friends or people I knew. Mm -hmm. And then also when I was in New Zealand, I was freelancing for people in Cape Breton, like businesses in Cape Breton. Yeah. So that community actually was like built on referrals. Yeah. You know, that is the beauty of a small town. It is. People talk, whether it's good or bad, (laughs) people are talking. Yeah. Um, so fortunate for me that really, that support carried my business, the referrals. Mm -hmm. But I did feel it was really important for me to have a website Mm -hmm. where I was sort of removed from face to face with people. Yeah. So I I did build my website on Squarespace Mm -hmm. um, because I felt it was the the best path for me to be able to do like front end design without the complications of like back end and WordPress. Yeah. So I'd realized at my job that I, I did not... (laughs) <laughs> like WordPress and <laughs> the coding and all yeah, of that. Yeah. And honestly, I, I learned from experience that I didn't like it because it felt disconnected for me. Yeah. Um, because I wanted the macro view of sort of a brand being cohesive. And when yeah. you have different people coming together, like a copywriter and a developer and project management and mm-hmm. the designer, it's very easy for things to get sort of misconstrued. And I, f- I felt that I could build a more cohesive flow um, between all these elements. Mm-hmm. So I built my website and sort of showcased what I had done at the time. Yeah. And it, I think in the beginning, sometimes it does feel a little thrown together because you're still figuring it out. Yeah. Um, But it was really valuable for me for people to see what I was doing. It's all visual. Yeah. (laughs) Well, you have to see it to really want to invest in it and to realize the value in it. And I think for so many people where today, I mean, our whole world exists online. Like Mm -hmm. I think 90% of everything that we do, the first thing we do is yeah, go online. You don't go and yeah. ask somebody. You'll search it up online, then you'll ask somebody. And exactly. now it's not word of mouth as it once was. Mm. Um, so for anybody who might be in the state of should I invest in a website? Should I not get it professionally done? Yeah. What would your words of wisdom? Oh wow, wisdom. <laughs> no, I, I've. I think a DIY do-it-yourself sort of website can absolutely serve you in the beginning. Yeah. If you're just getting out and defining aspects of your business, but you do find you need like a home online where you can send people to. Yeah. Then I think that's completely valid um, to getting yourself out there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's like so many businesses that are wildly successful without a website. Mm-hmm. I'm saying this as a web designer, mm-hmm. yeah. but it's true. So don't feel like you need to rush into sort of investing 5k, 10k, whatever, yeah. even 3k into a website. Yeah. But I think the turning point for deciding if 
you do want a professional website for your business Mm -hmm. is often if you're like ashamed of sending people there, you know, you want to be putting yourself out there in the best light. Yeah. So if it's really spinning in your head that it's, it's not something you're proud of. Yeah. Then definitely like talk to some web designers and see, see who you trust. Yeah. See who you connect with. And, and I would say, even though you might not understand all the aspects of web design, look at their work. Yeah. Yeah. And what are the elements that somebody should keep an eye on in terms of like a good website? Like what what deems a good website and what doesn't? Yeah, no, for sure. Because <laughs> I mean, user experiences, obviously, you want to make sure that there's no glitches, no exactly. bugs, no like random you know, excessive yeah. pop-ups. There's so many you could go there's on. There's a lot, on. yeah. And I think... As people that, again, live online, you kind of know when you land on a website and you're like, where am I going? Yeah. You know? Yeah. So it's really important to have the strategy behind your content Mm -hmm. and what you're asking people to do. So calls to action. Yeah. um, Those have to be crystal clear because you don't want, I think it's seven seconds or less we have to hold someone's attention. Yeah. I think an average, like on my client base, uh, I would say an average session, session is between two to five seconds. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. And that's shocking and scary, Mm -hmm. you know, when you're putting up um, just something you're throwing together. Yeah. But when you have a designer that is doing the strategy, is asking you the questions like, what is the bread and butter of your business and how can this support you? Mm -hmm. So like a couple examples of how your website can support you is like booking calls with, with clientele or discovery calls, like block off three hours a week and only allow someone to book with those three hours. Yeah. And that way your business is functioning in a way that supports you and you don't have to go back and forth with 20 emails to book Uh, one session. That's really interesting. You bring this up. I have a client who I've worked with long-term and one thing she had mentioned to me, and this was, I was in a, I guess a period of testing a lot of things for my brand out. And what she had mentioned to me was, Nor, I don't love it when you send me a calendar and force me to pick a time (laughs) on those days. And I was like, it kind of like it caught me off guard. And I was like, really? And she goes, I don't feel like it's personal. Oh, wow. And I like that kind of really shifted it for me because I think despite us as business owners Mm. wanting to make everything so streamlined and so automatic and automated and easy for us, you also have to see how it makes your customers feel because if they just feel like a sort of cog in the machine Mm. that, you know, you're producing work for them and uh, you're essentially getting a return on investment on that, then that can make them devalued as a customer, right? Definitely. Yeah, it's a fine balance. It really is. Yeah. And that's why I think you really have to focus on like the customer. I think even before you build like your brand strategy, all of that, I think you really have to fine tune like who you're speaking to. Yeah. Because if you're speaking to, for example, like business owners who are, you know, uh, just as an example, consultants Mm -hmm. and, you know, you're doing uh, their communication or their strategy for them. They already have 20 other people they're consulting with. Mm -hmm. It's like the last thing they want to do is have like that additional piece of like, oh, now I have to make sure that her schedule aligns with my schedule and that sort of thing. So adaptability is also something I think for like, yes, yeah, it's like it's been one of the most um, 
I don't want to say intense, but like learning curves for me. Yeah. Because I love structure. Agreed. Me too. (laughs) So much. Like I love picking a time and sticking to it. And I love creating a timeline and project deliverables. But like you have to be adaptable. Everyone works differently. Mm -hmm. And the biggest asset I think in that is just communication. Yeah. Because misunderstandings are misunderstandings. It's usually someone was thinking or assuming something. Oh, for sure. And it's not typically, sometimes it is, but typically it's not personal. No. Yeah. It's just a matter of sort of the systems and processes. A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. And Mind you, that client of mine who I love dearly, she's just very outspoken. Mm. And so if it was any other client, I probably would have just lost that client and not even realized why. And then you that's where, you know, I guess imposter syndrome or doubt would have come in and been like, oh, maybe they didn't like my work or maybe I wasn't doing it to the right level. But Mm. I think at least understanding that. So the feedback, I think, is super, super important to incorporate. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's difficult, again, as like a solopreneur to get that. (laughs) (laughs) You know, you really do have to be intentional and ask for it Mm -hmm. um, because positive testimonials are like gold they're amazing yeah word of mouth is so so important but constructive feedback is what's gonna like allow you to pivot and grow you you know you get that in a team usually in a workplace yeah for sure not always but hopefully Uh, (laughs) (laughs) to an extent yeah yeah yeah. so yeah finding a way to get that feedback is like yeah it's pivotal i think yeah um In terms of branding with your website, what are your tips for branding? For branding? (laughs) Um, I don't want to go into like art school talk because (laughs) it can get very like... Technical. (laughs) Well, even just like fluffy at times. Yeah. Um, But I think with branding, for me, it's about creating an experience or a feeling. Mm -hmm. Um, I have worked with a lot of, in the beginning, like wedding industry folks, salons. Yeah. And those are really sort of about a feeling, right? Yeah, like, very feely. And I think with branding, you've, you've just, you've got to dig. Mm-hmm. Like what, again, what are the characteristics of your audience? Mm-hmm. What do they value? What language do they speak? Where do they hang out? Like, what are they doing? Yeah. <laughs> You know, like, do they understand what the word manifest means? Yeah. Or are they a startup and have like a very particular language Mm -hmm. that they're using? Yeah. Um, I think that's so, so important. Like, oh, my God, I could talk about that because uh, for two reasons. Number one, I think what people don't realize is the language that you speak to your audience and that's what resonates with them. If you're using language they're not even comfortable with, that's going to fly right over their head and they're going to be like, this guy isn't even offering us what we're looking for. So I think you really, really have to be clear on your message back to your point. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the other thing is um, people relate and connect more to people that they feel alike with. Mm -hmm. So it's like, if I'm coming to pitch myself to, you know, a million dollar startup, I can't pitch or use language that isn't even on their radar, things that they don't even. So I think that's really, really important. Like just the language and it might seem simple, but not a lot of people adapt. 
No. Yeah. And like the thing is, you know, I'm sure we've all been in situations where you land on a website Mm -hmm. or you are even just talking to a professional that's outside of your typical industry. You kind of feel stupid. Yeah. No, it's like, true. wow, should I know what this person's talking about? <laughs> yeah. Because I really don't. Yeah, it's um, true. And it's it's simple. Sometimes it's even just a few words or acronyms. Yeah. You know, just bringing it down to a human level. Oh, my God. Yeah. Like, how do you explain this to a 10-year-old even? Yeah. Because the clearer, the better. So. Yeah, that's what they say. The best way to write messages or anything of that sort is mm. write it out for somebody who is seven to ten years old. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. The simplest language. Because we're not always we don't always have our full focus, you know. Exactly. Or our brain is, you know, doing a lot in the run of a day or a moment or even a call. So just making it crystal clear is just ensuring your message is getting across. Mm-hmm. Um, which is just like it's become the most important part of my business. Yeah is just making sure that whoever is landing on that like brand page or, um, you know, even printed documents, like what is their takeaway? Mm-hmm. You got to make it easy for people because they just don't have time, patience or um, the attention span sometimes. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. If yeah. you if you don't get them in one line, that's what that's all it takes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, which is, you know, intimidating, but it's the truth. <laughs> <laughs> I know, like yeah. not to scare any anyone off, but yeah. it's true. I think that's why going back to I guess where we all where we started this episode, mm-hmm. your your own passion and your journey and kind of like the why of it all. Yeah. And I think once you discover that and you really hone that in the best of your ability, that's when you can really like start shouting it from the rooftop and really start instilling it in all channels, all aspects. Yeah. And then that's where you kind of get fruitful in terms of in your business. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. I remember actually when I worked at Pure, I was doing a lot of different work, Yeah, um, which was a great experience. But I remember, I think my boss told me she was like, I was working on something for like a mining company or something like that. And she was like, you're just not as good when you don't love the work that you're doing. And I was like, <laughs> oh shit, I'm trying. That's um, so funny. But it was true. Like I That's wasn't, hilarious. I wasn't fully invested because yeah. I didn't get it. Like I didn't yeah. care as much, Yeah, which is not always fun to say, but like, you got it. Tr- like, I even want to highlight that to like a macro level. Like, mm. how many people are just working jobs they don't care about? Oh, yeah. Like, it doesn't fill you up. You don't feel like you're making an impact. Mm. And on top of that, impact aside, you don't feel like you're contributing anything to grow the sector, grow whatever you're working on in any shape, way, or form. Yeah. And I think, you know, I don't want to shame anyone that's maybe in a job that they don't mm-hmm. feel lit up about because. A, takes time to figure it out, and oh, B, for sure. cost of living, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Can we take a second? <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. But when you do figure that out and you and you find the path, it's very um, rewarding to sort of, yeah, to, to do it. Yeah. <laughs> and mind you, this has been, like, your journey has been three, four years? Um, I would say five since I started like freelancing on the side at my job. Yeah. Yeah. But really three full time. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a chunk of time. Like people don't realize like you have to get started. And that's the biggest thing that I Mm -hmm. preach is whatever it is, even if it's picking up a project on the side on your weekends, just start something, put your 
foot in the door and kind of um, execute anything you feel Mm -hmm. is right at the time. And you'll just, you'll always take something away from it. You'll learn and then you'll eventually grow it. Maybe it's not the right thing for you because I think also that's a a topic that everybody wants to be self-employed. Everybody wants to be their own boss. Work in your jammies. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, it's not always, I don't, like it's not always the right job for everybody. And mm-hmm. I, I think there is this perhaps movement towards that. And I feel I feel like if you're not working, and this might be a very biased um statement, but I feel like a lot of people have this notion that if you're not doing what you love for yourself, then you're not being successful. Mm, And then vice versa, if you're not working for a really strong brand or organization, then you might be losing on opportunities or success that you could be missing out on. So Mm -hmm. I think for that, like regardless of if you're freelancing for a year to two years and then end up taking a full-time gig and then going back to what you're doing, I think with any situation or experience, you're taking something away from it. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's all about what you define success for yourself. 100%. So it might not be that you're making six figures, mm-hmm. you know, like I think that's just perpetuated so much in society and entrepreneur oh my worlds gosh. that more is better. Yeah. And it's not necessarily well, more work. <laughs> There's a reason that burnout is like a hot topic. Um, so, yeah, I think defining success for what it is for you is just super important mm-hmm. so that you're not getting lost in the weeds of like, again, what someone else is doing or what the societal view of success is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Even as a solopreneur, like you kind of look at not to say like your, um, I, I guess, fellow solopreneurs mm-hmm. or entrepreneurs, that, that sort of thing. But I feel like there's a sense of competition. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, I'm a strong believer that whoever you connect, like, I'm not going to sell myself to anybody. I don't believe in that statement, mm-hmm. selling myself. Like, yes, to an extent, I can only show you. And yeah. if what I show you doesn't resonate, then I'm just going to be pulling on teeth trying to convince you. And then even in the long run, working together is going to be so misaligned that neither of us are going to get the beneficial experience of it. Mm -hmm. So for me, I think there's that competitiveness of working with fellow solopreneurs or sharing work or, you know, even sending off projects or components of like projects to other entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. I think that's so valuable because not only are you helping others succeed in their own business, but you're also growing your own project in a sense of like success and achieving the goals and objectives. Yeah, no, having a community to sort of either struggle along with or support each other with like that is for me been super pivotal as well mm-hmm. to just be able to talk through th- certain things with people support yeah. people yeah or honestly just sometimes complain yeah because it's a lonely everyone, journey everyone <laughs> everyone is just figuring it out yeah no one has it all but p- together all, you know we all have strengths and weaknesses yeah and getting support where you need support is not shameful either because no. you can't do it all no agreed yeah 100 percent mm-hmm. yeah it's a lonely journey and I think you gotta you gotta have that support. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even if it's just a phone call 
or whether it's like hiring a bookkeeper, you know, those things can be super transformational as well. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Don't get me started. (laughs) Hold their podcast. Yeah. Uh, So where can everybody find you? Yeah. So I am on Instagram as designed by Jackie. Mm -hmm. Um, My website is designedbyjackie.ca or JackieBlanchard.com. We got a few domains, but you will find me most active on Instagram. I love connecting through that community and I have found it to be supportive. I know some (laughs) social media cannot be, you know, it can be an energy suck at times. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But I really like connecting with community there and building relationships. That's amazing. Well, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. This was so much fun. Thank you so much for listening. Want more? Don't forget to subscribe and to leave a comment below. Stay connected by following us on Instagram at shimi.co. 